0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit Christchurchlondon.org.
1: Good morning. It's a nice one, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Andy. That's probably the best reading I've ever heard. So it's almost like the talk has already been done. Uh, wonderful. Uh, it's so good to be here. Um, I also just caught a little bit of the duet hosting of David and Philippa. That is quite amazing. It's almost a bit like a musical. You're just <laughs> waiting for them to burst out <laughs> in singing, so maybe next time. <laughs> I wouldn't want that, no, all right. <laughs> um, and then I've just been looking forward to uh, be in my home service and share this particular message. So. Um, so this whole theme of consuming fire has, has been on our hearts actually for a while. And we almost felt like coming back to it again starting this new year. It's almost like this is something that we do need to focus on. The sense of God calling us to live this life where we are consumed by His presence, His Holy Spirit, His fire in our lives. That we don't just exist our way through this life, but that we really live this life, as He has designed us for, as He has created us for. I remember one of the gatherings where we were praying for for the church, and Andy Tilsley, that you know very well, he had this inner image of whispering smoke, as a prophetic sign that this fire of God was already burning, uh, and that was a special moment. And there has been special moments like that. I remember once when I was uh, had a time to uh, set aside to pray for the church, and. I had this sentence coming to my mind that after the wind comes the fire, and I kind of knew this was the Holy Spirit that was talking about this sentence. And immediately my mind went to the cleansing capacity of this fire of God, that it was about holiness, about purity, but also that it was about surrendering ourselves to obedience to Jesus Christ. It's a while ago I heard that sentence. It's actually two years ago. But I haven't felt that it was time to speak about this particular part of it until now. So I hope it is time now. I feel that it is time now. That there is this calling, this sense of God saying, I'm inviting you to surrender to this way of obedience. We see it in the Bible and we see it in church history. That when this consuming fire of God manifests itself among us, there is a renewed invitation to really give ourselves, to surrender ourselves to obedience to Jesus Christ. And interestingly, it also works the other way around. That when we make a choice of surrendering, renewing our surrender to Jesus Christ in obedience to Him, the heaven seems to answer with this kind of consuming fire, as we shall see. So we're going to focus on this today the way of obedience. And that is courageous. When we, when we walk this way, it calls on courage in our lives, as we shall see. But we shall, also, we shall also see that God gives us what we need to make these choices of obedience. It's really a vast theme. So you will sit with all kinds of things where you're like, why doesn't he speak about that or that or this? But uh, we can only cover this much. It's almost like taking a walk in a big park where there are many different landscapes, many different walks. You can't do them all in one day. It's like this is from Richmond Park, one of my favorite parks of London. And I love this, these ambitious London parks where they want to kind of have all the landscapes in one park, even, though, even in the smaller ones. It's quite amazing. It's a bit more boring with the Danish parks. So that's one of the things I love about London. So, and it's a bit like that with this subject of obedience. It's really a big one. It's a vast one. Now, we may get this obedience thing wrong from the beginning. When we just hear the word obedience, some of us are immediately drawn back to sad memories. This could be the case for some of us who have experienced authority figures in our lives demanding obedience of us, whilst not deserving neither our love, our trust, or our obedience. And for those of us, that kind of park or that kind of relationship have a very different name That would be abuse in the name of authority or abuse in the name of love or names like that. And just to say I'm not going into that today, but if you find yourself in a relationship like that, I personally only have one good advice to give to you. Get out of there as quickly as possible. The the obedience talked about here in this text is a very different one. It has three characteristics and even more, but I'm going to focus on three characteristics today. It's beautiful, and it's challenging, and it's growing. Now, this obedience talked about in the life of Jesus came from a very beautiful place. It came out of his relationship with his heavenly father. He said that I only say the things that I hear the father saying and I only do the things that I see the father doing. So he had this kind of relationship with the heavenly father marked by trust. And if we ask generally where does trust come from? Well, it comes from one specific place. It comes from a sense of being fully loved. It's this sense of knowing that God is for me. It is knowing that He will always hear me, that He will always see me, that there is no deceit in Him, that He is always on my side. Just like a good parent is always on the side of their children, no matter how they behave, they will always be on their side. And it's the same thing with the Heavenly Father. No matter what your life looks like today, He is on your side. Don't think anything else. It's that kind of love that created the kind of trust that created the path of obedience in the life of Jesus. And we see these three factors from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Love, trust, and obedience. When we read about his baptism at the River Jordan, we hear this conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist. And he asks Jesus, so why? Why are you doing this? If anyone should be baptized right now, it should be me baptized by you. But Jesus says to him, no. We need to do this thing out of obedience of what has been spoken about me, the prophetic scriptures. And then we see when Jesus acted in obedience, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit came upon him. The fire of God came upon him and then the voice came from heaven. This is my son, the beloved. So here we actually have it the other way around. Out of the obedience of Jesus Christ, the answer of consuming fire came from heaven upon him. It works both ways. And in the passage that Angie read so well for us today, it became very clear that Jesus not only started his ministry like that, he also ended his ministry like that. Paul called it it obedience even to death on the cross. And we see the beauty of this. On the one hand, we see the deep humiliation. We see the deep pain of the cross. A, A pain which is probably more than we could even imagine any of us. Jesus being ridiculed, Jesus being scorned, and going through all these different levels of human pain. But out of it comes such amazing beauty of transformed lives. On Alpha, this week, Wednesday evening, we saw a testimony that was so amazing that I wanted to share with you. It was so beautiful. So here it comes, a little um, glimpse of the testimony of Daryl.
0: Cut a long story short, Leeds Crown Court courtroom number three. He handed me down seven and a half years. And I just thought to myself, that's it, gloves are off. If I'm gonna be bad, I'm gonna be the best kind of bad I can possibly be. Because I got moved from prison to prison to prison and put on category A maximum security because of my behavior. And there's this lad coming round, another inmate, he comes up to me and he says, "Uh, do you wanna go on an alpha course? I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, look, get out of my face sunshine before I slap you. I thought no more of it. And next day and then this kid's coming round with this clipboard again. So, I'm just waiting for this kid to get within slapping range, and he must have sensed something wasn't right because he blurted something out really quickly. He went, You get Wednesday afternoon at a bang up and get free coffee and you get free biscuits. <gasps> All right, I'll see you on Wednesday. And we just started giving her a hard time, a really hard time. The thing that stopped me, it wasn't what they said because I wasn't really listening, but it was how they did it. They came back at me with love and compassion every single time. So I sat there on my bunk and I said the first real prayer I'd ever said in my life. I didn't know if I was doing it right or not. But the gist of it was, God, I need you to take away the anger, the violence, the hate. I need you to take away the addictions, which I've tried to fight and I just lose every time. And if you do that for me, I will live the rest of my life for you. But the next morning, I woke up, as I always had done. Rolled over to grab the smoke, as I always had done. But I couldn't touch it. Everything about it, the look, the thought, the smell, everything made me want to be sick. And I knew what I had to do, so I went and got my little stash and I put it straight out of the cell window. And as soon as they'd gone, I started to feel a bit better. I started to calm down a little bit, but I was still freaking out. So I just said to myself, will calm down, go get a wash, go get a shave. And as I started to get a wash, I looked in the mirror and just stopped dead. Because I didn't recognize my own reflection. I was like, that guy's smiling not just smiling, that guy's beaming. And I noticed I didn't just look different, I felt different, everything had gone. It was as if someone had unscrewed the top of my head and just poured freezing cold water in and everything had been just washed out clean. So the chaplain comes onto the wing and I just told him absolutely everything. And he said, the man that went to bed last night, is not the same man that's standing here this morning. You're a new creation. And that was it. I said, no more, no more fighting, no more drugs, no more nothing. If you owe me anything, forget it. If you're holding anything in mine, keep it. I don't want it, I'm done, I'm finished. Jesus has saved me.
1: It really is beautiful, isn't it? It's like nothing can beat that. It's so amazing. And the Bible is so clear as to why Jesus did these things, why he died on that cross. It was so, for us to experience forgiveness of our sins, healing of our shame, and full restoration in our life, restored to the kind of life that we deep down long for and we deep down know that we are destined for. It's almost like the light from this cross of Jesus is like a sharp light hitting a negative and turning it into a positive, into a sharp, beautiful picture. It was all there, hidden, contained in an unsatisfying life. But now from this light shining from the cross of Jesus, it comes to life. Nothing is as beautiful as that. And even just this morning when I have the privilege of looking at your beautiful faces this morning, I see faces here where I know some of your story. For some of you, we prayed just less than a year ago and you had... A similar experience to Darren, where you said yes to Jesus. Prayed the same kind of prayer, and I saw the transformation in the lives. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. It's not, not just a singular story. There are amazing number of stories like this, even in this room today. And just to say, if you're here and you haven't experienced this yet, we have this very simple trust that Jesus Christ is among us this morning. And we believe that for anyone who reaches out and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, will have the same experience and Daryl in the terms of being met by him. This is for all who's willing to give the invitation back to Jesus. As you are inviting me, I am inviting you. I want to follow you. So we're going to pray at the end of the service. So if this is you please don't, and you have this longing in your life, please don't go, uh, but come and be part of, of that prayer. I think quite many of us would, would agree that when we see this kind of sacrificial love, we are attracted by it. It's so beautiful. In our Alpha group, uh, we were asked the question, so what do you think about Jesus? And And one of the people in our Alpha group said, well, I'm not a Christian, but the story of Jesus' self-sacrificial love fascinates me. And then he paused, and then he looked around at all of us in the group, and he said, isn't this what we are all longing for? And I didn't shout aloud, but I shouted on my inside, yes, that's exactly what we are all longing for. Exactly. And just this longing in itself is such a beautiful thing. So for quite many of us, we would say, well... If I am to describe my life right now, I don't really know what it looks like. Maybe this morning wasn't the best of mornings, or maybe the day yesterday wasn't your kind of uh, best day, or whatever. But no matter what our lives look like, this longing in us is a beautiful one. It's so beautiful that Jesus found it worth dying for. It certainly is a beautiful way, this way of obedience, but it's also a challenging one. People who devote themselves to a life as a monk or a nun would give three vows at their initiation. It would be poverty, chastity and obedience. And to my surprise, I have learned that it's the last one, that's the most difficult one. They would say, it's because poverty and chastity would derive me of things that potentially would please me, but the vow to obedience means the end of me as I know myself. Or they would say, it's the end to my self-obsessed or my self-focused self. Now, why is this the hardest one? Well, because this is typically how we identify ourselves. With our capacity to make choices, this free will of ours, our freedom to do what pleases us. For quite many of us, this is the closest we can come to defining an I, a personality. Therefore, this wow of obedience is the most difficult one. It's like it's said in the text that Jesus um, gave himself over to empty himself to become nothing, to be what God created him to be. It's a beautiful park, but it's definitely also a challenging one. And we hear it in this passage today that Jesus being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. Now how did he do that? He did it by living under the limited conditions as you and I, not making use of his divine powers. He humbled himself by allowing himself to be utterly powerless, depending on God, and therefore also depending on hearing what God was saying. In Hebrew, the word hearing comes from shima, and it means not only hearing the sounds of uh, the word, but also to act on the word, to obedient, be obedient to the word. Jesus puts it like this. He says... The Son of Man has not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. And it says here in the text that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it seems that the final test was actually before the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus struggled and where he prayed this prayer that transformed the whole history of mankind when he prayed father not my will be done but yours now the question is how does this way of obedience look like in our lives in your life and in my life how does it reveal itself well in this passage it becomes clear that the way of Jesus is also our way paul says in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others. In his letter to Ephesians, he puts it like this He says, Submit to one another out of reverence, or it could also be translated, out of obedience for Christ. So what does a life of obedience look like? Well, it's actually more practical than we may think. It's very practical. It looks like submitting ourselves to one another. Friends to friends, spouses to spouses, children to parents, parents to children, employers to bosses, and bosses to employers, It's kind of all the different relationships that we find ourselves in. Which means it's all the complicated stuff of our lives, isn't it? If you think about where are all the complications, well, they are in our relationships. So this is where it plays out, this obedience to Christ. So instead of being focused or obsessed by having my own needs met, I humble myself and I serve the needs of those around me. And, there is an important and, and I allow the others to serve me as well. I'm not going into that today, but if we only are willing to serve others and don't allow them to serve us, then it's something very different at play in our lives. It goes both both ways. It's a challenging part because it works in accordance with our deepest desires, but also It works against the influences of the culture that we live in. We live in a super individualistic culture. We live in a culture that encourages us to be obsessed with our own needs, to live a life where the planet has to evolve around ourselves. And we live in a life where there is a false image of freedom that we will never attain. Paul puts it in a very simple way, but also challenging way in Romans chapter 6. Paraphrased, he writes, As as human beings, we don't have a choice of not living in obedience. Either we choose to live a life of obedience to God, following the command of Jesus, or we choose to live a life of obedience to our own needs. And if we do that, they become our master. And I believe that any over-consumer, or any alcoholic, or any porn addict, or neurotic, or any overeater and you can go on and on and on, would testify to this. That's how it works. Honestly, I can testify to that. I have seen in my own life, yes, if the needs become my master, that's how it works. I think most of us, if we think about it, we're like, yeah, that is actually how this works. In other words, we do have a free will. And with this free will, we are offered an opportunity between two alternatives. And the question is, what alternative will we choose? Because no matter what we choose, there will be a price to pay. Jesus is very clear about this. He says, if you want to be my followers, if you want to be obedient to my way, there is a price to pay. And you should think about that. Before you say yes to become my follower, he's very clear about that. It's not an easy game. It's not an easy quick fix. It's a dedicated life of following Jesus Christ. But there is certainly also a a price to be paid if I choose the alternative. And I would have it that that is an even greater price to pay. So. Sorry for asking such a question on a Sunday morning, on a stormy day, but we may as well take all the storms that we can handle in one day, right? Um, There's someone, I read a book called, This is a Storm of Obedience. I thought that was an appropriate word. So the question is, who am I obeying? Am I obeying the one that I want to obey? And the question is, what kind of price am I paying? Am I paying the price? that I want to pay. So this is a challenging part. And yet, when we make this choice of saying, Jesus, it's You, I fully and wholly will follow You. That is what I want. In this complex life of mine, I choose to make a simple choice. That it's You. And I will not turn back from that choice. When we make that choice we find this inexplicable joy of finding home in our own lives. We find that we are not submitting to something strange or different from ourselves. Rather, we make an amazing discovery that this is really us. The old church father, Augustine, put it like this, he said, Deus interior mio, which means, God is more me than I am. Or paraphrased, God is my true identity. Which means that when I give up on myself choosing this way of obedience, I am essentially saying yes to my true identity. This challenging way leads to an amazing place. And even more than that, we find that this way of obedience leads us to a life of authority. Have you noticed that we live in a culture that produces anxiety? I just turned 54 Tuesday last week. Yeah! (laughs) Thank you! (laughs) Quite an achievement. (laughs) And just to say, I have never experienced as much anxiety as I do today in my life. There is so much anxiety in our Western culture. It seems like this super individualistic, this super self-pleasing, seeking culture produces such an level of anxiety. So no wonder it takes a different direction to produce the opposite result. And the opposite of anxiety is authority. Now, in this text we find a remarkable distinction. For Jesus, it's a singular story, but for us it's about how we live with one another in community. So this is for us, Christ Church Church London Central Service, how do we live with one another in community? And as Angie said, this is so important for us to really grow in this together. Now when, when we make this choice to say, well, we want to live like this. We want to be a community marked by we are followers of Jesus Christ. We in a complex world have made a simple choice. He is our master, he is our Lord. It's him that we want to follow. And by that choice, we submit to one another. We don't ask how the service can serve us, we ask how we can serve the service, or in other words, we ask how we can serve the others, and we allow them to serve us. And what comes out of that? Well, following this text, out of that comes authority. Out of that comes stories like the stories that we have among us this morning. And out of that comes stories like the story of Daryl. This is an amazing way, the way of obedience. And we are called to walk it personally, but also as a community. Finally, it's a growing thing. It's a growing way or a growing park. Jesus became obedient. Now, he was never disobedient, but he did need to grow in obedience to the place where he, was, where he became willing to die on the cross. So like we know it from natural life, there is a growth in obedience. I'm the very happy and proud granddad of two grandchildren. Uh, the one is a girl, and she's very newly born. Uh, I believe it's eight weeks or so. Yeah? Wow. Wow. Well done, me. Uh, and, uh, and the boy is four years old. So the one, she hasn't really began her journey of obedience yet. But the boy, he is slowly engaging with this journey. And, and we are still hoping that we will get there. But, but we are still early days. And it's very much in the don'ts. So it's like, don't touch the oven don't kill your baby sister. And, and, you know, those are the things going on right now. It's a bit equivalent with the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. So that's kind of where we are. But, but then, then we know that there's another phase following this phase, which is join in with the community. So do the dishes, clean up your room, say thanks, and that sort of stuff. And it's a bit equivalent with the commands in the Bible, rejoice, pray, fast, tithe, love, Commands like that. But it doesn't stop there. As they grow older, the children, then you start to look for something different. They know the do's and they know the don'ts. But then you start asking yourself, is this, is this integrated in their life as a value? Does this now come from within? Or is it something that needs to be put on, on them still from the outside? That's kind of the third phase of this. But there is actually a fourth phase I found when I dived into this. With my oldest children now, I, I, I'm i not talking about the do's and the don'ts. I'm more asking them a question. So what do you want? So that's kind of the development. We saw that with Jesus and the disciples. He he started by calling them servants, and he called them friends, and then at the end he called them brothers. And you talk don't talk about do's and don'ts with brothers. You ask them, what do you want? It's a different thing. And some might say, well, that's obviously the easiest stage of this whole obedience thing. Well, I have found it to be a really both exciting but also challenging one. Because what I know when I am at that stage is that the Father sees me in a very peculiar way. When He looks at me, the Heavenly Father, He's not kind of saying, so what can I get out of this last figure? How can I use him best? What kind of product can I get out of him? No, Basically, basically what He's saying is, all I want is you. That is His essential saying over my life. And when I have known His love and when I live in this trust relationship, then I know that that is the case. Which also means that when He asks me, so what do you want? Then I know what kind of answer I want to have. Not the answer to say, well, I want this stuff or that stuff or this person or that person or this career, or that ministry, that all becomes, becomes quite detailed. Rather, it becomes me wanting to say back to the Heavenly Father, all I want is you. Now, this isn't a linear process I have found. I have tasted all four of these stages, but I find myself going a bit back and forth on them. So if you find the same, don't be confused. That seems to be how it's working. But there is a growth in, in obedience and there is a calling. And I believe that with this, this calling of the Father for us to focus on the consuming fire, there is a calling for us to grow in obedience. So finally, how do we do that? Well, we do it like Jesus. It says about him that though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered just as we do. What does that mean? Well, it means that it's in the tough times, it's in the times of pain, that we have the real opportunities to grow in obedience. It may be pain caused by seeing that my dreams don't really come true in the way that I wanted them to, that my plans fail or that I fail or I suffer under the failures of others or sickness strikes me or my close family. or. I'm overwhelmed by anxiety or all these kinds of things. And these are the times when we are most tempted to leave the way of love, trust and obedience. And We are tempted by thoughts like, why bother? Or thoughts like, I may as well take things back into my own hands because clearly God hasn't really got this. Or questions like, why does it take so long? Or, what's the meaning of this? Are we tempted by emotions like hopelessness or cynicism or what we might call just a sense of existential fatigue? Now what do we do when we are tempted like this? When we are stressed like this? When we go through pain like this? Two things. Number one, we surrender. We choose to trust God that he can turn whatever we are going through right now, whatever it is, into something beautiful and good. My favorite author, as you would know by now, uh, Wilfred Stinnison, a Carmelite monk, said it like this, the crucial thing is not what has happened or is happening in our lives, but what we do with it. God is a master of using all kinds of pain and suffering to form and transform our lives When we surrender it to Him, for Him to use it as He sees fit. So we surrender. And number two, we remember. We remember how God has shown up in our own lives and turned bad into something good if we have these kind of memories. And number two, we remember what God has said about these things in the Bible, how he presents himself as the one capable of doing this, taking anything and turn it into something good. Just one sentence as an example in Romans 8, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And then finally, we remember how God has done this in the lives of people around us. So I'm not only standing on... On the Word of God, I'm also standing with the testimonies of my own life, but also with the testimonies present in the community, in this room. I'm strengthened by those testimonies. Can I have the band come up, please? And Philippa, if you would join me as well. Now, there is a powerful promise connected to the way of obedience. It says in the text that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. It's absolute authority, which means that everything will be well. Be well. The pain and the suffering that we experience is the pain and the suffering between the now and the then. But the call coming from this way of obedience is for us to remain in His Word until then, for us to trust Him until then, for us to stay true to His life and obey His commands until then. Out of this consuming fire comes an invitation to surrender to obedience. And out of our surrendering to obedience comes consuming fire. Let's stand.